they didn't have shape notes in the first century? You say they did, Levi? Yeah. They just had it in one shape, round. And like, you know, so it comes up. Whatever. Hey, I appreciate Larry sharing that uh, as we opened up worship. We'll come back to that. I also want to thank Levi. And for those of you who have not met Levi, Levi Sizemore has been our song worship leader today. And uh, if you like him leading worship, you might want to come back and hear him teach tonight. He's going to be preaching tonight at 6 p.m. And uh, for, the, for men out there, he's got a Tuesday morning class. Uh, what time does that start? 10? 10. Yeah, he's, he's been teaching. You're teaching this Tuesday, aren't you? All right. He's a man of many talents, and he's using them. And I appreciate all of you who use your talents in those ways. Um, let's spend some time in God's Word, and would you pray with me? Father, it's our prayer that in coming to you, you would speak to us through your Word. We believe that this is a living Word. We believe that you are alive, and you communicate with us. And Father, I pray that we would open up our hearts, our minds, our souls to what it is that you have to say through this living word and that you would give us the courage to obey this word and put it into practice. May your power be at work among us. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. I'd like you to do something, just um, <clears throat> you can take one of the little cards on the pew in front of you or a piece of paper or you can put a note in your electronic device. I want you to, I want you to come up with a number and as we start our scripture time this morning, I'd like for you to rate your faith. Where is your faith? On a scale of one to ten, where is your faith? Um, and it can be where is your faith right now? Just right now at this moment, we're gonna, I'm going to let you interpret that broadly. It might be where your faith is in general. If you want to average where you've been lately, you can use fractions. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, even if that fraction is less than one. Uh, decimals or, you know, three-eighths, eleven-sixteenths. That's fine. That's all good. But between 1 and 10, find a number. You don't have to show this to anybody else. This is just for you. You write that down and you make a note. And then we're going to come back to that. What we're going to do right now is we're going to read from Luke chapter 8. And in in this section of Luke chapter 8, what Luke has, uh, you remember, Luke went out and he found the best stories. He went out and he found the best reports. He gathered the eyewitnesses together and he wanted to write down the things that Jesus did, the things that people witnessed. And some of that is contained in this chapter right here. Things that people witnessed, stories that people were telling, reports that people were giving. And as we go through this, I want you to look for these five very important questions. <clears throat> and we're going to look for the answer to these questions. And when we find the answer, it's more than just um, memorizing something for the test. I want you to think about what the answer to these questions might be. So we're going to start out in verse 22. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, 
Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and they set out. And as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped. And they were in great danger. The disciples went and they woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up. He rebuked the wind and the raging waters. And the storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they then asked one another, Who then is this? He commands even winds and water. And they obey him. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. Now, for a long time, this man had not worn clothing or lived in a house, but he had lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at the feet of Jesus, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the God Most High? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized the man, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains. He had been driven by the demon out to desert, solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied. Because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and so he gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and they reported this in the town and all around the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man, the man from whom the demons had gone out. And he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, dressed, he's in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. So then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes came to Jesus and asked him to leave. Because they were overcome with fear. So Jesus got into the boat and he left. The man from whom the demons had gone out, he begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell people how much God has done for you and so the man went away and he told all over the towns just how much Jesus had done for him now when Jesus returned a crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him and then a man named Jairus a synagogue leader he came and fell at Jesus's feet pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter a girl of about 12 was dying As Jesus was on his way, the crowds were almost crushing him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one, no one could heal her. She came up behind him. She touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately, her bleeding stopped. 
Who touched me? Asked Jesus. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, uh, the people are crowding and they're pressing up against you and you ask, who touched me? Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the the synagogue leader, the one with the sick child. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he didn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for the girl. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead. She's just asleep. And then they laughed. They ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and he said, My child, get up. And her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. And Jesus told them to give her something to eat. And her parents were astonished. But he cautioned them. He ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. The first question that comes up in this account is Jesus' question to his disciples. Where's your faith? That's going to be our key question as we unpack what we've just heard. Where is your faith? You know, um, we tend to read this story of Jesus going across the lake and a storm comes up as, um, well, we tend to read it as something from the Weather Channel, you know. And uh, we expect to have Jim Cantore out there, you know, talking to us about how bad it is. And, you know, you don't need to be out on the lake right now. You know, there's, there's warnings. Because we we tend to think of natural disasters. We tend to think of of weather. Uh, You have to go back to kind of a pre-weather channel way of thinking. When when, uh, storms and occurrences in the world are more than just natural events. In fact, we may be getting there because I've noticed that we're more and more scared of weather than ever before. Uh I've been watching the, the, the weather here lately, and, and you know, and they're, they're, they're preparing us for uh, everything's an apocalypse, the snowpocalypse, the, uh, uh, the stormpocalypse and all that. When I was a kid, we just called it rain, and, you know, but, but uh, now it's killer rain uh, with sharks in it, and, and you, you need to run. Um, but this is the attitude of Luke and Jesus and the people of his day that they they would have understood that they lived in a world where there are things invisible and all of those demons and critters and evil and all that stuff, they lived in the water. The water was the abyss where evil dwells and it's not stable. That's why it becomes very significant that Jesus and with Jesus' help, Peter 
can walk on the unstable water. Oh, there's things down there. If you go back and you look at old maps, sometimes the map maker will put something in there, not just as a joke, but because he's warning you, here there be monsters, you know, watch out. Jesus is on the water going across the lake. He's taking a risk. It's always risky when you put out at sea, especially risky in their days in those little boats. But he's taking a risk in a spiritual sense because he is floating right out on enemy territory. He is crossing the line. Imagine that the, the, the sea represents the demilitarized zone between the world that we know and the world of evil. And there's a truce, and Jesus has just crossed the line. And he's so peaceful about it that he can take a nap. I like Jesus' style. I like it. Because then when the storms rage, the creatures in the abyss, when evil is threatened by the presence of the Son of God Most High, he doesn't just turn the switch off on the storm as if he's the commander of all creation. He rebukes it. He tells it to settle down. He tells it to sit down and shut up. And so now when he sees his frightened disciples, he says, Have you not figured out by now how all of this works? Where's your faith? I mean, where do you put your trust? Did you think, yeah, you can almost fill in the blanks for the rest of the conversation with just a few words. What sense would it make for Jesus to call them to follow him and and he will make them fishers of men and then he's just going to get them killed out in the water? Jesus has got this. We need to remember this question. Where's your faith as we keep going forward? And we'll come back to your number that you wrote down. C.S. Lewis got this. He understood it. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, enemy-occupied territory, that's what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise. And he is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. This story about stilling the storm is about much more than just Jesus guiding us through life's storms. It reminds us that you and I, we don't live in a world that's completely settled. We are not home. We are in dangerous territory. And you and I have got to be part of the resistance. And the the enemy wants to convince us that you and I are safe, that you and I can be safe. Just pay attention just today. If you want to go for it all week, go ahead. But just pay attention just today how many times something out there, some force, some person, some message is going to promise you the security of being safe. It becomes a false god. But we want to be safe. I'm not saying we shouldn't be, you know, nobody is asking us to be foolhardy or reckless. That's, that's just being an idiot, okay? But 
Jesus is willing to go out right into the domain of evil because there's people that need to be saved. There's people that God loves and he wants them to know him. And Jesus isn't worried about it because he's got the superior firepower. Jesus isn't worried about it because he has authority. He has power. C.S. Lewis has used his imagination to remind us that the world we live in is risky territory. The enemy has occupied it. Now, the enemy doesn't own it. It's not Satan's world. It's not the enemy's world. It belongs to the rightful king. But the good news is the king has come back to take his land. And meanwhile, you and I are the resistance. And we can join the resistance and take a stand against the evil. We just have to trust the one that we follow. And, and, and if the, the, the ocean waves, if the, if the sea waves and the storm on the sea, the wind and the, uh, uh, the tempest, if that was wave one of enemy's attack, wave two comes in the form of this, of this poor man who's infested with the demonic so that his name is Legion. Now, we often read this story from the perspective of Jesus or the disciples or the man who names himself as Legion. But I want to ask us to look at the story from the standpoint of those people, the pig herders, the garrisons, the, the folks, because, you know, we think about breaking chains, and breaking chains is, you know, it's a, it's a good image of of being released from bondage and uh, being, you know, the, the, the image of breaking chains comes up a lot in Scripture. This man didn't put chains on himself, though, did he? No. Who chained him? The people of the community. I want us to read this story and hear this story, think about it from the standpoint of those people who take this man loaded up with evil And they chain him. They take him to the tombs. They consider him dead to them. They just want to sweep him under the carpet. And it's a truth that communities, families, even churches, we will do everything in our power to fix to contain, to hide, and to control the troubled and tortured among us. We say, our chains look like phrases that say, well, we don't talk about that around here. Our chains look like phrases that say, if you had more faith, then you'd get better. Our chains look like phrases that say, well, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you shouldn't have that problem. Our chains look like phrases that say, you need to just leave behind all the cares of the world and focus on God, and you're just going to have to go somewhere else and get help for that. Sometimes the chains just look like silence. And, and it's those people in that town, his community, his people, maybe they're well-intentioned people. I don't think they're villains at all. But what are they going to do? This man's got all these unclean spirits in him. 
and he hurts himself. And he runs off in the desert and he's embarrassing everybody. Naked fool running around all over the countryside. Got too many demons in him to count. He's just called Legion. You know, he's bringing property values down. Someone moves into the neighborhood, you know. This looks like a nice, what was that, you know? And all of a sudden, here comes this crazy, demonic, possessed weirdo. We've got to do something about that. We'll pass some policies. We'll pass some laws. We'll come up with something, something and, and then we'll just, we'll just kind of shove those people along and get them out of here. That's not Jesus' solution. Jesus' solution is to call it out. What's your name? I wonder if anybody had ever asked him that before. We don't know how he got there. We don't know what happened to him. But Jesus says, I want to know your name. Because Jesus is looking for a handle. And in the ancient world, if you had somebody's name, you had power over them. If you, that, that's why God's name is so unique. Everybody's always asking God, you know, what's your name? Like, if I know your name, then I can use you for my magic and my spells. God's name is Yahweh, which doesn't mean much to us. But what that name comes out to is, oh, I'll be who I'll be. <laughs> it's God's way of saying, what's my name? My name is, I know your name. Quit asking my name. I'm God. You're not. That's God's name. And, and Jesus has that name. So he wants to know the name of this power. He's not afraid at all. But this power, this demon, this evil is threatened by, what, what name did he use? The Most High God. Jesus is going to win the battle of names. He's not even going to break a sweat. But fearful people avoid Jesus and his power. You know, they had become comfortable with the fellow in his chains. We do that sometimes to people. They go to their churches. They're working in the pig farm. They're sitting around the family dinner table. Here comes Legion. Naked as the day he was born, just running, screaming through the streets. Well, you know, that's just him. That's the way he is. Yeah. Somebody needs... Whose turn is it to get the chains and take him back to the tomb? We just get used to him. We do that in churches. When people misbehave. And it's those little minor things, you know, like... Somebody's just mean-spirited or offensive or trouble you know oh well you know that's just them don't patronize them love them enough to help them i'm not saying give them everything they want that's that's not that's not going to help us is to get everything we want (laughs) what's going to help us is to have jesus heal us but when we reduce one another down to oh well that's just so and so they drive me nuts you have just reduced your brother or sister to a problem. That's why we pray for one another. We pray for one another because you and I cannot fix one another. We can't fix ourselves. Jesus says that when we go into that business, it's like one of us with a stick in our eye trying to get the speck out of the other person's eye. But when we pray with one another, we're going to the power that can heal. We're going to the power that fixes. And notice 
Now what changes? That, you know, that, that community is going to be unchanged. Those fearful people say, Jesus, um, we know that you meant well. It's fantastic that you could heal this fellow, but we can't afford to lose any more pigs, and we're just scared to death. And it was one thing to have a, a, a naked fellow uh, screaming with demons and hurting himself, but you're even more than we can handle. Sorry, could you just go? How many times do we turn Jesus away because mm, this power is just too much? How many times do we back off and avoid that power because, oh my goodness, it might change our lives? Well, Jesus tells the fellow who has to get back into that community. Can you imagine how tough that's going to be for him? That wherever he goes now, I mean, he's got his hair combed, he, he's, he's dressing decently, and, you know, going to be those awkward moments in the shops where he's going to buy some bacon, and, and we know they had bacon, where he's going to buy some bacon, and, and the, the butcher is like, you're the guy from the tomb. Yeah, that's me. You're him. Yep. You know, you, you scared my kids one day. Oh, I tell you, they still talk about it. Yep. But even so, Jesus left him there because now he can tell everyone what God has done for him. Jesus gave him a new life and a new commission. You talk about a fisher of men. This man is the first foreign evangelist that we know of outside of Israel. You stay here and you declare, not just tell, you declare what God has done for you. You know, so many of us, we're looking for, how do I do evangelism? How do I do evangelism, Dr. Benjamin? What do I need to know? I don't know enough. Here, you're the minister. You do the evangelism. You'll be the evangelist. You will just line everybody up. You have stories to tell that I don't have. It's not a matter of head knowledge and knowing a lot of things. Yes, there are some things to know. We can figure those out as we go. But the beginning of evangelism is for you to talk about the God that you know. The beginning of evangelism is for you to talk about what Christ has done for you. And if that even worries you and you're like, well, I, 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 I don't know that he's done a whole lot. Did he save you? And again, it does not have to be a dramatic story. You know, there's some, and, and I'm going to tell you why, okay? It's real practical. If you're like me, then some of you have heard these amazing testimonies of how Jesus turned the lives around of people. Yeah. I mean, fantastic testimony. Mean, like, you got a guy who was basically, you know, Dr. Doom or Lex Luthor or something, and then he's turned around and now he's all for Jesus. And I don't mean to make light of it, but I mean, just these incredibly dramatic stories. And the whole time you're listening to this, you're impressed and you're thinking, well, I never had anything like that go on. But then when somebody tells you a story, now that, that story speaks to some people. Some people need to hear that. Some people need to hear, I was once a demon-possessed maniac running around with nothing but sneakers on and scaring people and I was hurting myself and they chained me up and it was bad because people didn't want me around. 
but Jesus changed my life. That's power. Some people need to hear, you know what? I was the kind of person that I couldn't handle that. And I couldn't handle what was going on. But now that I hear that there is a power out there, I was afraid and now I'm not. That story may connect with someone else. You just need to declare what God did for you. Jesus comes back to his own people. They're expecting him. And there's a woman in the crowd. She doesn't want to be seen, and I'll tell you why. She's been bleeding for 12 years. It's a female problem. Okay? It's unique. And it's also the kind of thing that the Old Testament says... Well, when that happens to a woman, she's impure. She needs to go away. Don't touch her. And anybody who does touch her, they get impure. So she's taking a huge risk. She's breaking the religious law. She's breaking taboos. She's breaking custom. And she's going to go. But she's like, nobody's going to notice me. I just know. I just know that if I can touch the edge of his garment, that alone, that alone will heal me. I'll do that. And then I'll go. And I'll be okay. And for 12 years, she's been an outcast in her community, not because of demons, but because of rigid ideas of religious purity. And Jesus knows that somebody touched him. I can't blame Peter and the others. It's like, there's a whole crowd right here, and you're asking who touched you? Probably everybody touched you. You know, they're bumping up against you. But Jesus notices the faith. Because it was the faith that caused the power to flow out from him. And notice where the power comes from. It comes from him. And it meets her faith, her trust. And so he wants to find her. Why? Because he doesn't just want to heal her physically. He wants to restore her to the community. They need to know that she belongs with them. She's no longer going to be. Well, that's that woman that can't get better. That's that woman who's just always sick. You know, she needs to stay out there because she's impure. We love her. Praying she gets better. Jesus wants her to be back into the community. And when he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. She's not expecting that because she expects him to say something like, Now, you were impure when you touched me, right? Yes. I got a problem with that. That's going to be a big problem here. We're going to have to fix that. No. He says, Go in peace. He says, There's nothing wrong here. It's all good. You're made whole. End of story. Faith. She trusted and she's accepted. You know, one of the things that we need to remember, because watch out, there's voices out there telling you, there are, there are messages out there in our culture that say, do you have faith? Good. Keep it to yourself. Because it, it, you know, everybody can have, your faith is great. I mean, it makes you who you are, but I've got my faith, you've got your faith. Uh, I'm okay, you're okay, and that's what's that. Okay, so end of story. Everybody just have your own faith. I don't care what it is, you just keep it to yourself. Faith is very personal, but it's not necessarily private. Because we share 
faith. I mean, what is the point of praying together if we don't share a faith in this power? Jesus could have just let the whole thing go. Hmm, somebody touched me and got healed. It's a good day. All right. I won't bother her. Don't want to embarrass her or anything. She's doing okay. No, he's going to make it public. And there's good reason. Because everyone else needs to know. Do you see how all these stories are doing that? There's a storm out there. Everybody could have been okay. Jesus is sleeping. The disciples could have been like, whew, this is a bumpy ride, but we're going to be all right. We've got the number one authority over demons just, you know, riding with us. We're okay. The crowd over in the, uh, in the garrison land could have said, hey, man, thanks. Listen, we don't have any more demon-possessed people, but there's some other things you can work on while you're here. We'd love for you to change some things. All of this could have just gone on, but every time the enemy rushes in and tries to contain Jesus and push him back and try to, tries to keep him silent, Jesus wants it to bust out, and he wants people to give a witness to what's happened. He's making disciples who make disciples. Well, it comes to the, comes to the, the pinnacle when there's that moment when the people from Jairus' household come up and say, okay, there might have been a chance. There could have been a chance while the little girl was sick, but she's dead now. We know the story, but you've got to remember, as long as there's a chance for life, you know, it could go either way. But once she's dead, that's it. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, just faith. And you're thinking, no, that's not what he said. He said, don't be afraid, just believe. I know, but believe what? Believe in God, believe in Jesus, believe in what? Believe, I don't like the word believe there, because the word there is the same word that's used everywhere else in this passage for faith. Just one's a noun form, and the other one's a verb form. You've got faith, we think we know what that is, and then you've got faithing. And Faith thing, it might be better to replace it all with trust. And Jesus is saying, don't be afraid, just trust. Trust. Trust in this power. Trust in the power that rebukes the storm. Trust in the power that casts the demons out. Trust in the power that healed a woman who had been sick and outcast for 12 years. That same power can not only save you from evil, but it will save your daughter from death. And you know what? He uses the same phrase. Just trust and your daughter will be made well. That's the same word he spoke to the woman when he said, your faith has made you well. And so when he asked the little girl to rise up, they give her food, they have, they have the girl back, we see a power that we're being asked to trust in in the midst of a hostile world. So now let's go back to your number. Whatever that number is that you wrote down, it's enough. It's fine. I don't want you worrying if it's too low. I don't want you worrying that, well, maybe it's too high. Just, just the number's fine. In fact, the number's sort of irrelevant. Because <laughs> when this woman says, you know, all i got to do is touch the hem of his garment, what, how would you rate her? 
When the Gerasenes say, oh, the demon-possessed guy, you know, that's great that he got, fi- he got healed and fixed up and everything, but, but Jesus, we don't want you here. What, what number would you give them? What number would you give the little girl's parents, Jairus and, his, and, and Mrs. Jairus? What number would you give them? How much does it take? I mean, do you see anywhere in the story where Jesus is saying, hmm, okay, we're going to have to go at this again. I don't think y'all are faithing enough. Everybody, link hands, the power of love. Mm, there we go. We've got a, we've got a five. We've got to get the, the faithometer up to seven, and she lives. No. Nah. I've got to thank uh, Mike Jones for a lesson that he gave this Monday night in Celebrate Recovery. Faith is not something that you and I have to generate, build up, create. It's just trust. The power all comes from God. He gives faith. So when Jesus is asking those disciples, where's your faith? Their problem is not the number of their faith. Their problem is they left their faith back on the shore where they felt safe. So whatever your number is, stop worrying about it. We did not need to put our trust or our faith in our ability to increase the number, to change the number. You're going to build that number up. In fact, next week we'll start a six-week series that's going to get that number up. No. Just trust. Don't be afraid. Just trust. Faith is trust. And the power flows from Jesus to our faith. So don't be afraid. Just trust. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that your word, your living word, is active among us and that it will help us to see the world differently, that it will help us to see what the enemy has done to people, And that we will trust in you to fight the battle. And that we will trust you to cleanse this world of evil. And Father, teach us more and more to do like the people in these stories. And to fall on our knees in humility before you. And trust you to bring the power among us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Larry said it so well. He said, what we're going to do during this time is we're just going to pray for one another. There's going to be shepherds here. There's going to be shepherds back there in that room. If you want to pull them aside and pray with them, pray with them now, you do that. If you want to pray with the people next to you, that's fine. If you want to find someone later today, that's fine. We don't have any women shepherds, but we've got women here. They'll pray with you. If you're a woman and you want to pray with a woman and you feel more comfortable with that, they will pray with you. Again, where's your trust? Is your trust in the title or the blue card of the person that's praying with you, or is it in the God to whom we pray together? Every single one of our shepherds is going to tell you that the power is in Jesus Christ. They're going to tell you that the power is there. They just want to share in that with you. Hey, I'm going to give you another invitation. If you want to come to Celebrate Recovery tomorrow night at 6, maybe some of this is working in you for a while, and you're like, I need to take this somewhere. Come to that. Come and see what it's like, and you'll see people who are putting that into practice. So, Levi, let's stand. Let's sing. We're going to encourage one another. Respond as it's appropriate.